Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network. Yo, 50 years of hip-hop. 50 years of hip-hop from Listener Power, KEXP. Welcome to 50 Years of Hip-Hop. I'm Martin Douglas. This week, we're going back to 1991 with the track Mind Playing Tricks on Me by Ghetto Boys. The rise of Scarface isn't just a tale about a legendary rapper. It's also a tale about how he and so many other artists relied on hip-hop to find solidarity and confront a traumatic way of life. Everybody loves the story of the outlaw. You know, the fast life, the big guns, the women in flowy dresses. There's also the parts people don't think about. Waking up in cold sweats at night and dealing with the memories of all the horrors you've seen. A new life. And the promised land. When I was a kid, I loved outlaw stories. Cowboys on TV. I also noticed the hustlers who lived in my neighborhood. Those were the outlaws who intrigued me the most. Guys with polo Ralph Lauren shirts and gold chains. Nike Air Maxes or Air Jordans on their feet. They were the first sign of glamour I saw in a near desolate childhood. Public housing, Section 8, the hood, the projects. Most of us young kids didn't really acknowledge or even consider the toll our communities took back then from the guys we idolized who sold drugs. We just played That's My Car, where you'd claim your dream ride as those dudes drove by, and fantasized about wearing $100 Nikes to school one day. The toll that drug dealing took on these young black men never crossed my mind either. To me, they were living the good life. Their moms weren't on food stamps, as far as I knew. They weren't late on the electric bill, as far as I knew. But it was hip-hop that opened my eyes to the existential crises of these men who I had previously regarded as figures of folklore. Hip-hop showed me that a young black man, especially in the South, was more likely to be enlisted to sell drugs than hired by McDonald's. Hip-hop shined a light on police acting like soldiers in enemy territory, doing their best to eradicate black people. And hip-hop informed me that the luxury those men gained came at a heavy psychological cost. And it wasn't just in my town, either. You know how you have layers in your mind, layers in your brain? You know what I mean? Brad Jordan was a depressed kid who grew up on the south side of Houston, Texas. He was diagnosed with bipolar disorder long before mental health diagnoses were commonplace in society. He spent months in a hospital psych ward for a suicide attempt. One of many attempts, in fact. I, I, I still say it now. It's not too late to quit. But it, 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 it's harder to live. Jordan was also a voracious music fan. He grew up listening to bands like Kiss and Boston. He played in a band called High Energy, who specialized in ACDC and Black Sabbath covers. Jordan was put on to run DMC in middle school and was enamored with how they synthesized rock music into something new. He would end up dedicating his life to hip-hop. 
but not before dropping out of school and getting into the blooming crack cocaine trade. In the fifth, many people still hanker for a more traditional high. My crack, man. I got the head, man. For years, Jordan went by the name DJ Action. That is, until he eventually recorded a song named after Al Pacino's compelling and diabolical role as a Cuban-American kingpin called Scarface. Say hello to my little friend! I start a small-time dope game, cocaine. Pushing rocks on the block, I'm never broke, man. Sporting jewelry and the stitch that came with rolling hard. You try to school me, you'll get served with no regard. When he was 16 years old, Jordan signed with Rap-A-Lot Records, run by a successful young businessman named James Prince, or Jay Prince. He was trying to get a foothold in the rap game, and he had a vision for his label, as well as rap music in Houston. Before Scarface joined the label, Rap-A-Lot produced one of the city's first regional rap hits, a song called Car Freaks by a group called Ghetto Boys. That's ghetto spelled with two T's and an H. To make a long story short, Ghetto Boys were reconfigured, starting with their name, now spelled with one T and no H. There's really no reason behind the spelling change, aside from the fact that the spelling is cooler. The only personnel holdover from the original group was DJ Reddy Red. Brought into the group was Willie D, a former Golden Glove State boxing champion who also happened to be a formidable battle rapper. At the popular rap attack battles at the Houston club Rhinestone, Willie was declared the winner 13 weeks in a row. Also in the new Ghetto Boys lineup was a 3'11 Brooklyn transplant who recently started going by Bushwick Bill. According to his memoirs, Scarface had to defeat Jay Prince's younger brother K-9 in a rap battle in order to gain entry in the Ghetto Boys. Jay told Scarface in no uncertain terms that he had to leave drug dealing behind if he wanted to be a recording artist on Rap-A-Lot. I remember fast times, selling dope was my pastime. Life in the fast lane, while caught in cash, I'd sit back and wonder what would become of me. The freezer see the beamer coming, and then they run to me. Step off the vehicle, yo, what you need, yo? I need a 20 and a nickel bag of weed, bro. Make the sale, then I bail out. Now it's time to get the hell out. Scarface has credited Jay Prince for a lot of the early direction of Ghetto Boy's lyrical content. It essentially boils down to one simple ethos. Rap about the shit that's really happening in the streets. This was around the time N.W.A. commanded the attention of both the music world and the United States government for their screeds against police brutality, but also the capital crime of being hyper-masculine, intimidating, and black. The police coming straight from the underground. A young got it back because I'm brown. And not the other color, so police think they have the authority to kill a minority. Like N.W.A., Ghetto Boys were no stranger to controversy. They suffered a great deal of criticism from a mainstream press deeply skeptical of rap music. How great it is to be in a gang. How great it is to slap women around and call them bitches and hoes. How great it is to sell drugs. Unfortunately, you've got a lot of kids that are also getting that. And that's being perceived as black reality. Their debut record, Grip It, on that other level sold 500,000 copies, just as unfathomable then as it would be today. Still, even after they signed to Geffen Records, the major label refused to put out their follow-up album. 
even with industry titan Rick Rubin co-signing the ban on his deaf American imprint. Their music was even blamed in two different court cases as inducing a murderous rage in each defendant. And then came what remains to this day Ghetto Boy's defining single. My grandmother came up with the title. I just stole the title from my grandma. In his memoirs, titled Diary of a Madman, Scarface writes that Mind Playing Tricks on Me was written for his solo debut, Mr. Scarface is Back. After near overwhelming feedback, Jay Prince anticipates a smash hit and wants it to be a Ghetto Boy song. And although Scarface created the beat and wrote three of the song's four verses, that's two for himself and one for Bushwick Bill, the group effort gives the song's themes a full range of perspectives. Scarface dives deeply into the song's general theme of paranoia in the song's first verse. At night I can't sleep, I toss and turn, candlesticks in the dark, visions of bodies being burned. After Scarface's first verse, the paranoia of Willie D's verse gives the song a tense, almost fatalistic feel. It doesn't take long for the Hollywood glamour of his lifestyle to turn corrosive. He goes over a mental list of the people he's harmed, either out of self-defense or vengeance. Meanwhile, Willie gets ready to protect himself from rivals out to get him. I live by the sword. I take my boys everywhere I go, become a paranoid. I keep looking over my shoulder and peeping around corners. My mind is playing tricks on me. The verse Bushwick Bill recites is fascinating for how his paranoid hallucinations unfold in the narrative. First, he and the other ghetto boys are causing trouble on Halloween. Then they encounter, and subsequently try to jump, a man following them. Then it becomes clear that the blood on his hands is his own. But on the song's third verse, he ruminates on his poor mental health and absolution from all the wrong he's done in the dope game. Can't keep a steady hand because I'm nervous. Every Sunday morning I'm in service, praying for forgiveness and trying to find an exit out the business. From there, Scarface explores the depths of his emotions, contemplating suicide and investigating how his paranoia has impacted his romantic relationship. Both of these topics were uncharted territory for a lot of rap music at the time. The emotional complexity of what Scarface rapped about was brought to the forefront. The consequences of his lifestyle and how the trauma he experienced is sometimes only escapable by death. This is what he'd largely stake his rap career on, and what would eventually make him one of the most respected MCs of all time. As for the Ghetto Boys... They would experience a few lineup changes, reunions, and dips in musical quality over the years. After all that time, Mind Playing Tricks on Me has remained one of rap's most immortal singles. Its vulnerability became a blueprint for rappers to bear their soul on record, even the most hardened of personas. The single would go gold, selling over 500,000 units. The LP that the song was on, titled We Can't Be Stopped, sold over a million copies, giving the Houston rap scene its first of many platinum plaques. As for Scarface, who fully intended for the song to be a solo track, his genius set the template for the modern anti-hero in pop culture. He'd also sparked conversations about mental health in a landscape where all emotions were placed to the side as a survival tactic. Nearly a decade before mob boss Tony Soprano checked into his first therapy session with Dr. Melfi, Brad Jordan was examining his mental health for all the world to see. For KEXP, 
I'm Martin Douglas. We appreciate you tuning into this podcast, and we're also thankful for your financial support. This Friday is our station's one-day drive, so if you can pitch in, please do. This is 50 Years of Hip Hop from listener-powered KEXP, where the music matters.